Hey everyone, this is Matt. I just wanted to issue a quick trigger warning. Um, we'll be talking about some tough things on this episode, including sexual and domestic violence, miscarriage, stillbirth, and death. So if those are things you don't feel like you're emotionally equipped to handle right this second, go ahead and tune out. We just wanted to be sensitive to folks that may um, not be in a place to uh, discuss those things. Otherwise, um, thanks so much for tuning in, and here's the show. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to help everyone remember and learn how to think instead of be told what to think, and where we want to encourage diversity in thought and not division in community. We are back for part two of our discussion on abortion. Um, If you listened to the first part, it was really just John and I kind of giving our thoughts really quickly and setting the table for um, these next two episodes, which will be us listening to the perspectives of women, which we feel like is what's important in this scenario. So if this is what you've been waiting for, we are glad you're here. Um, We are super excited to introduce into our studios uh, my friend, my wife's very good friend and colleague and birth things in life, um, Joy Outland Brock. Hello. Hey, Joy. <laughs> um, so we are not going to do a bunch of preamble because we really, you know, want to take this time to kind of highlight you and your perspective and hear what you have to say and um, have other people hear what you have to say. Um, but just so that we know, John's in the studio. John, how you doing? I'm doing excellent. Glad to be here as always. Top of the show is always me talking a lot. <laughs> Um, cool. Well, Joey, we've kind of talked a little bit about the purpose of the podcast. You've listened to the previous episode and, you know, just so people out there know, in case they're tuning in late, really what we're just trying to do is let women speak about their, uh, or elevate women's voices in this conversation about abortion. Obviously, um, it's a constant conversation going on in this country, um, but with Alabama and Georgia happening here recently and more sort of legislation maybe coming down the pike one way or the other, um, there's just a lot of conversation going on. Um, And we feel like our role is not necessarily to convince anybody of anything, but just to make sure that everybody, we always say like, how can you love your neighbor if you don't know who, who they are or what they think. Mm-hmm. Can you just share a little bit of your background? Just like mm-hmm. what you do now personally and just so yeah. we can hear a little bit of that too. That's a good idea, sorry. Um, sure. So my name is Joy. I am a Richmond native, born and raised. And let's see, I went to college here. I went to graduate school here. I I guess what brings me to this topic is a lot of things, but a lot of it is just that I think... It's been grappling with how much abortion fits into my own story. Um, And so, you know, today I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I work in a private practice and kind of the focus of my practice is perinatal mental health. So working with women, with couples, uh, with partners, with fathers through that journey of pregnancy, new parenthood. And, you know, I work with lots of other adults, too, but that's kind of a thing that I'm passionate about. And what's made me passionate about it is just how I grew up. So 
I think if you talk to any woman or if women and men went back and talked to their parents and they talked to their grandparents and they had honesty with each other, they would see that abortion is almost a part of every single family's story. I know, well, I didn't know this until a few years ago. My grandmother has also already passed, but she had shared with my sister about her abortion of her fourth child. Her, They had three children, and her husband just said, we can't have another. And so she said, I'll take care of it, and uh, went in to get her tubes tied, knowing that once they got in there to do the procedure, that they would have to perform an abortion. Um, and that involved like having to take my mom as a child, her urine in and hand over her urine. So, cause they would test to see if you're pregnant. Um, so as to fool them and get the procedure done. So, I mean, this was before women had access to birth control. So then flash forward to my own mother, um, she had my older brother and sister, and then by the time she got with the man who's my father, she ended up having two abortions between my sister and me. Um, and one of those was when they were married, she developed Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and with one of those pregnancies, she had like a tumor on her neck like the the cancer was very like it was very prevalent and the doctors just explained to her that if you continue this pregnancy i guess the way the science works of that tumor and whatnot and the cells that are happening when you're pregnant inside the growing baby the baby was going to get the cancer and the cancer was going to overcome the entire baby and you know kill the baby and possibly kill my mother too because she wouldn't be able to have treatment while she had um, the pregnancy going on. So she ended up deciding to have an abortion. Um, and because of that, I was able to be born. And so, I mean, it's just kind of messy. Like, I don't think black and white is a thing that we can ever apply to abortion. And that's one of the things I appreciate about this podcast and as I've kind of listened in just this idea of being curious to know people's stories because when you understand context you come to realize that like God is very rarely in black and white and life is very rarely in black and white but God's spirit God's presence exists with us in these gray messy often heartbreaking places um so I wouldn't be here I don't believe if she hadn't made that choice. Um, at the same time, she still had the Hodgkins when she got pregnant with me was in a much better place. Um, but, you know, for some reason, they again encouraged her to have an abortion. Um, she shouldn't have been able to get pregnant with me. Her tubes were like tied or something of that nature. Um, my details on this are sketchy because my mom has since passed away uh, so I can't go back and ask but she did get pregnant with me and she chose to continue that pregnancy and paused her treatment and I'm thankful for that so it's like this weird it's this weird place where you're like oh I'm thankful maybe that she had to have this one abortion I'm thankful that she didn't have an abortion with me like and also feeling the weight of like well what could that other person have done or you know what would it have been like for my siblings if they had lost her as a young kid? I don't know. I think that's a really interesting, like that's truly a gray area. 
like you, tr- your story, I think is, is a great example of, of a gray area. Just like you, you just said, John, you were going to say something. Mm-mm. Okay. No. Um, and I really appreciate that. I did not know the story coming in. So probably a little peek behind the production curtain. We didn't like vet your story or anything. This is live. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's really great. I think it's interesting because, you know, one of the slogans is, uh, that I've heard, um, on the pro-life side is kind of like, well, you're, a you know, somebody chose life and that's why you're here. And your story is such an interesting, not even like going against that, but just adding this layer of non-black and white, you know, of like yeah. gray to it, um, which is so interesting to me. Um, I think you had mentioned to me, and, and if this is wrong, we can edit it out, but you had mentioned to me that you have kind of been on a journey from a very pro-life stance as a Christian to a more pro-choice stance. Can you talk us through that a little bit and what that was like? Yeah. So it's hard to grow up in the evangelical church and not be very strongly pro-life because it's just what you do. It's the culture. I was also in like a Christian school from kindergarten through 12th grade. So like I was steeped in it. Um, And it was just I mean, it was part of the sermons, it was in the books you read, it was just like what we assumed was right. And I didn't really question it because again, I was in this bubble, right? And I think oftentimes the church provides a lot of beautiful community, but it also can really invite isolation um, from like a diversity of thought like you guys talk about. And just, again, I know abortion was there, but when there's so much shame attached to the choices we're making, women aren't going to speak up about it, you know? So I don't think I would have heard those stories, or you're only hearing the stories of the women that have had abortions and feel really bad about them. So like my mom definitely struggled with her abortions, you know, that there was grief there. Um, but I, I, I can't talk to her about this, but clinically as a, a therapist, I wonder how much of the grief would be there if she hadn't existed in a culture that said it was so wrong. Um, If she had been able to see that, just would she have had a different perspective? But so flash forward, I'm a teenager. My mom ended up getting another type of cancer. Um, She had had a recovery from the other type. She developed lung cancer when I was in middle school and it eventually went everywhere. Um, And just over the course of my teen years, she slowly deteriorated and she ultimately passed away when I was 16. And something that has just kind of become an overarching way I view so many issues of life and faith was that this memory of the morning she died. I was home. My sister, my older sister was home. My sister was like seven months pregnant, um, preparing to be a single mother. Because again, we're in the church. You don't have abortion. Even if you're like 23 years old, with like no income or this or that, like you don't give up that baby. She had moved back home and I heard my dad come in and I heard him tell my sister that my mom had died. Um, We had just been at the hospital with her the night before. And as we left the hospital, my sister and I remember someone from our church stopping us in the hallway and he was just like very adamant, like I believe there's gonna be a miracle. Your mom's gonna be healed. God's gonna do a miracle. And so I'd gone home and I'd prayed and I remember I like even like wrote something and put a poster up on my wall and like, yes, there's going to be a miracle. Um, And then I heard my dad tell my sister that she had died. And I 
turned over in my bed because I just didn't feel ready for him to come tell me yet. And I felt very strongly like God spoke to me in that moment and said, Joy, I didn't create this problem, but I just solved it. And from then on, I just had this perspective of like, healing does not always look like what we think it will. Redemption does not always look like what we think it will. A miracle is not always what you think. You know that like God's ways are higher than our ways. And so that kind of started me on this just path of like questioning and being open to what I think is true may not actually be what is God's way or that there might be different kinds of truth. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think everyone goes through that, right? Like, we think we know a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. And sometimes God God is like, well, I mean, kind of, but I've got a little different thought here on this. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, my sister, she had this baby like two months after my mom passes and everyone's just like, again, applaud. Like, here's this woman that shows life. And then from the church... She still got tons of judgment, and she got no support. You know, like, there was nothing for her. Um, And then to provide for that kid, she and her and I have talked. She's very okay with me sharing her story. Um, She ended up turning to, like, working in a strip club because it allowed her to make money and be home with her son during the day. Um, But then the judgment again heaped even heavier on that. So like I was already starting to see the hypocrisy that can happen within the church that says it's pro-life and then does nothing to actually change the circumstances of people that are struggling, right? Like whether it's, you know, you don't want them to have an abortion, but you don't take steps to change the culture that has made an abortion almost the only option. Like that's one of my things about abortion is that when I say I'm pro-choice, sometimes I'm also like women don't have a lot of choice often when it comes to this. Like we don't have true choice in this country and in many parts of the world, whether to like actively choose to have a baby. Um, But so I saw how she was treated. It definitely stuck with me. Um, I went to college. I was... (laughs) planning to like be this big crusader for right-wing causes. I was very interested in politics. I studied politics, international relations, and God kind of wrecked all of that. Um, Just showed me a very different side and made me again have this like year of wrestling with what I thought I knew and challenging it. Um, And I left college, took a year off, and then went back to school to become a social worker. Uh, and as I have continued to be in the social work field, as I became a social worker, it got me interested in the civil rights around birth and childbirth and families. And now that I sit with families every week that have experienced lots of loss, um, whether it's through abortion, miscarriage, stillbirth, like children that have passed once they were alive, it's just, again, been very humbling of, like, what I thought I knew I'm constantly faced with. Oh, maybe you don't know that, mm-hmm. right? Because I can sit with a woman as she cries and talks about her decision to have an abortion after hearing that her baby has all these fetal abnormalities and 
isn't going to make it and how she can pray and say like the answer I got from God was that this was the right choice Mm. you know and then I I don't know denominationally where you guys are at but I know like within Baptist thought there's like this idea of the priesthood of the believer that like God speaks directly to us right that we we trust in that and so I have to trust in that Mm. I have to trust that like God told this woman like this was the right path but like I'm not saying this was an easy, like, I just, like, changed my mind. It's been, like, years of, like, thinking through it because it is such, like, a heavy, if you're raised in the church, it's often just such a heavy thing of, like, you are supposed to care about this. And it's like, yes, we should care about this, but it's like, you are really supposed to care about this, and you're supposed to be really against it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a long way of getting to me being right here. No, that's great. really appreciate you sharing that. Um a couple of things that you said in there that I'm just thinking, you know, Matt and I have talked about before how we um, we don't like to get into like the minutia of things and because we can shoot, we can go off on yeah. a zillion <laughs> tangents. If you've ever um, hung out with John and I in real life, it's <laughs> all minutia. Um, but, uh, you know, I just started thinking about how um, some of the stuff that you said, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here listening. I'm like, gosh, that's just so true. You know, and like people's stories and how like if you're not if you're not in someone's story, you don't or hear it or involved in it or like watching their pain or whatever. Like it's it's hard to just make this definitive statement on something. Right. Like it's it's so hard. And um, so just so thankful that you're sharing that. And but then I'm like putting on my not argumentative hat. I'm thinking like, oh, like, who are going to be the people that would like, be like, yeah, but what about. Right. There's always that other people. voice. Like, right? like that's yeah. not me, but it's just like yeah. it's, you know, I'm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you said a couple of things. I just just wanted to hear, like, your your response just because of your experiences, you know. Um, when you first were talking about uh, your mom, and you know, and making that decision, um, what would you say to someone who's like, well, sure, Joy, but I understand why you say, like, she had to make that decision for the baby and, like, and then you were able to be born and everything. But isn't it possible? Like, who are we to determine you know, life in that scenario, like, isn't it possible that like you could have another sister or an older sister that's your age and healthy and just like you are? Yeah. I mean, I think that's possibly absolutely true. Yeah. Right. And that I don't know. And maybe, and I've had to come to terms with being okay with not knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think certainty is very good for our brains. Our brains thrive on not having to be in gray places, it causes less anxiety. Um, I see that a lot clinically. I see that spiritually. And so I think it's true. But that brings me back to, again, I believe it's all these juxtapositions. It's like I believe God entrusts us with making certain decisions. And I also believe that we could never fully know at times maybe what God would want us to do, or we're just doing our best. And what's right for one person is not right for another, right? Like you see those stories of someone saying like, my mother, I was the product of rape, right? And look how God redeemed the situation and she raised me and all of these things, or I was given up for adoption. Um, And that, okay, that's what God did in the midst of that like really tough situation but that that just can't apply to every situation um for some women i do believe redemption 
is that they don't continue the pregnancy, um, that they can go on to continue to have their life, right? That like when we're talking about life, it's not just the life of the unborn child, it's the life of the children that woman might already have. Um, It's her life, right? Like what is it gonna do if you're a young kid, if you're someone living in poverty, you, you know, like your life also matters. Um, Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, like, that's, yeah, absolutely makes sense. I mean, and I guess when I think in terms of the Bible, when I, th- like, I go, like, to, like, Matthew or whatnot, where he was, like, doing the Sermon on the Mount, maybe that's in other books of the Bible, I'm feeling fuzzy, I haven't drank all my it, tea. It is a Matthew, um, yeah, you're good. So, we have all these laws, right, as Christians, and then Jesus comes in and says, you have heard it said, but I would say to you. Right, like that to me is often what is happening in this moment is like for us to presume to know, God is often saying, but I would say to you in this moment, like, and that's where we just like hopefully make decisions within prayer. Um, And that's as Christians, there's lots of people that aren't Christians that also need access to healthcare. I mean, the thing. Can I take it in a different direction for a moment? When we talk about abortion, too, what bothers me is that it's framed within people choosing something for, like, they don't want to be pregnant, and so they get an abortion. And that is just such a small, not such a small part, it's just one part of what abortion is. And so I think in the earlier episode, you guys had talked about go and, like, do research and, like, read what the other side is saying and I can only full-heartedly endorse that idea that you should go and read about these things because what I see over and over again is a lack of understanding and education about what reproductive health care really actually means. And so a lot of people don't know that when we pass laws restricting access to abortion, that impacts people that are miscarrying. You know, like a woman dear friend, someone in my small group at church has been very open with her story because she's actually running for state senate right now, um, about how what prompted her to run was that she was miscarrying a very much so wanted third child. Um, And because of the laws that say you can't actually schedule um, an abortion within 24 hours, like she was talking, you know, I just remember her tears. And as we talked through that waiting period and her just having to wait um, to go in for this procedure, knowing her baby had already passed, right? So like, we don't think about how these laws change, like, women's access to that, or that that can actually put our lives in peril, because there are miscarriages don't always go smoothly, (laughs) Right? Some women start to hemorrhage, but in states that have really restrictive laws, like you have to basically be dying before a hospital can intervene and help further along your miscarriage before they can do a DNC. And that doesn't get brought up, right? Um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around just what third trimester abortions can be. I mean, there was that whole brouhaha like that happened in Virginia a few months ago. I mean, do you, do y'all have like, well, I would assume Matt, you can't really be married to your wife without having a pretty good knowledge of (laughs) 
the female reproductive system <laughs> yeah, and all I, of those things. Just what I've gleaned from laying in bed next to her at night while she's on the phone with uh, with clients is probably more than <laughs> more than my sex education gave me growing up, certainly. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that that is 100% something that uh, people need to do is, you know, I, I don't know if it was you, somebody posted what was an entirely unpolitical um, blog or, or it was a New York Times or something where the uh, a woman was basically just saying like, no matter what side you're on, just she told her story about going in wasn't anything to do with an abortion. She was just going in because of a pregnancy. And they asked her when her last period was. And she said, well, I know when the last time I was able, you know, like when the last time we had sex was. And they're like, well, when was your last period? And she's like, you don't get it. Like, I know when this baby was conceived because we haven't, I had a period and then we haven't. And then we did once and, you know, so on and so forth. And she was just like, the lack of education or the lack of like um, dynamic thought, even at the doctor was staggering. So she was just saying to people like, just learn about all that stuff. And like, honestly, if somebody were to come to me and have a deep knowledge of exactly what you're talking about and say, but despite that, I still, I still think that, you know, we, we shouldn't have abortions. I wouldn't agree with them, but at least I would have a little more respect to know that they studied and heard, you know, heard, heard about it, um, and and heard the other side. Um, I think that, uh, you know, so often, and this is true with legislation in general, when we, you know, when we move and we've had a real hard time navigating, are we talking about morality? Are we talking about theology? Or are we talking about politics? And where do those three things intersect? Because sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Um, uh, but when we're talking about legislation, like, it's a lot of the times a hatchet where a scalpel should be applied, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that that's probably something that I feel very strongly about is kind of what what do these laws or what do these ideologies do to affect women who are in fact not just trying to terminate a quote unwanted pregnancy based on what the data says is convenience. So Matt and I obviously have different kind of perspectives on this. And so for me, like a lot of things you're describing, I'm like, I can, I can get on board. Like we're talking about miscarriages and stuff like that. And, and even like laws in place, and I've shared this with Matt, there are things there that not only are great for me that I might even disagree with some folks that are pro-life, you know, with quote unquote pro-life with me, you know? And, um, and so for me, the one, the, the part that I actually have like the toughest part aspect with is any discussion that is around, uh, establishing almost like the hierarchy of life. Mm-hmm. So like, that's like the part for me where I'm like, see, like that's the part I want to dig into. Cause like we, for me, I'm like, I don't, I get like the the horrible scenarios, the the things that are, I think, are tough to even fathom unless you sit with someone and hear their story and everything and those things. It's the part where, and this is why I just like would like to hear some more from you on this is like it's the part where I struggle with is like, well, statistically speaking, and you can make anything out of stats, but like statistically speaking, um, it is more along the lines of not that it's not a hard decision for women to make or anything like that, but statistically speaking from what we have available to us is they aren't the one-off scenarios. You know, they, they like, that's not the, the norm. It, it really is more towards, um, I'm thinking, I can't think of a better word, but 
people have used the word convenience and I'm not saying that that's the right phrasing or anything, but so what do you say to something like that? Cause like for me, like that's the side for me where I'm like, well then like I get it. Like the, you know, you told the story about they had three kids and didn't want a fourth and, and, and all of those things. And, and that's a story that I've heard before. And I'm like, but who are we to decide life in that scenario? You know? So yeah. I, I feel like in, so anyway, I just like to hear what you you think about that. So just to make sure I'm clear, like where we're wondering, like what is the argument or like how we conceptualize that people just sometimes want abortions? Yeah. So like, like you, like the stories you've sh- shared are heartbreaking. I mean, I was, I'm just there being like, goodness gracious, you know. And so, and even when you're talking about the laws and the miscarriages, like I I can totally hear that and and everything and um, appreciate the political dialogue that would be there around those things but just in terms of outside of the one-offs you know that which are the smaller percentages like how do we how do you think through life in that scenario and saying like that there is a choice like is it because for me this is what i said to matt all the time i'm like i just don't understand if life is life then isn't life life you know like so anyway yeah i'll, I'll shut up now but I don't know that I'm going to be able to, again, give you a clear answer other than, again, I think it's just, it's complicated. And it, there is like a large amount of abortions, yes, that happen. And we talked about like unfortunate scenarios. I think we often ha- also have to acknowledge that sometimes, it, yeah, it's not like some tragic scenario. Um, some women don't feel bad about their abortions. They just view it as health care. They think, all right, this happened on accident and I'm not ready to be a parent. Um, I still struggle and feel iffy with whether that's something. I can't give a straightforward answer other than, again, always complicated, always nuanced. And that is where, again, I come to we can't legislate a rule one way or the other. And I know we're not just talking legislation. You're saying, what about the hard issue of life? And that this these cells come together and it does eventually become a person. Um, you know... I think if you sat and talked with every person that was having an abortion in 99% of the situations, you would understand why. Um, I think in our country in particular, we have to ask why is it that most abortions, percentage-wise, happen for people that already have children? What have we created as a culture that doesn't value life to the point of making it a choice that parents feel like they can make again? Um, you know, like we, it's really expensive, you know, or, um, I am a white woman, so I can't speak to this because I have privilege, but to tell a woman of color that she has to continue a pregnancy when she knows that she is like three times more likely to die in the childbirth process or postpartum period than I would be, where's the respect for life there? Um, being murdered while you're pregnant is the third leading cause of death for pregnant women behind car accidents and heart disease. So to tell a woman that she needs to put her life on the line in that way again, well, what do we think about life there? Like, it's just, it can't for me ever be just about the baby inside, right? That like, it has to also be about the context of what's happening. Um, or just knowing that for some women, 
again, like, you know, you hear this term, like, trust women. This is why I believe in that. This is why we trust women is that, like, trust in most cases that they know their circumstances and are making the best choice they can. That they're looking at their partner and... You know, maybe that partner is abusive and they already have several children and they have been saving for months. And every time they go to the grocery store, they get $20 cash back and they have been squirreling that away so that they can afford a down payment on a new apartment. And that if they get pregnant, what are they going to do? Right? Like if they continue that pregnancy, they're not going to get out. They might get killed. Their children might be further abused. Where, you know, like where does life come down in that? Because that is like... Those are the realities. Um, when we say we're pro-life and then, you know, like we're going through the drive through at Starbucks, our barista at Starbucks that's handing us our latte on the way to work at 7 a.m. doesn't have choice because if she gets pregnant, where is the 24-hour daycare in Richmond that is going to allow her to drop her kid off at 4 in the morning before she does her opening shift? Like, it doesn't... It literally doesn't exist. Um, so, would you? So, say those things were. So, I would be in the camp of like, um, shoot, my wife went to Paris for four days, five days last week, and I'm like, we had help, you know. And I was like, man, this isn't clear evidence that I feel like one thing the government should do is provide health, <laughs> like right. childcare, yeah. you know. Like, so anyway, so if, so let's just paint the scenario of because i'm i'm in this camp and, and actually politically so like i am for sex education i am for uh in particular like if there's low income scenarios like how do we like help all this stuff out i'm for i mean if you told me like year-long paid leave is the way to go i am for all that um i'm for all those things that you're mentioning of like that are problematic if all those things were taken care of would that shift your view at all no, I don't think it would, just because it still doesn't change. That there would still be cases where, again, the life of the child and the life of the mother, like that that decision is going to be heartbreaking and hard for them, but a termination is still what would be chosen. Because a woman might have access, if she has access to all the best health care, that healthcare might find out that she actually has heart disease. And if she continues the pregnancy, she will most likely die. So are we gonna ask her to sacrifice herself? Some women might, right? And that might be what their heart says is the right thing to do. But other women, when they search and dig down deep, they might get a different answer. Um, you know, when I, having lost my mother as a kid and knowing what that's like when I think about what would I do in those circumstances? I don't think I could ever say what I could do, but I can tell you that the thought of leaving my children prematurely creates such pain inside of my heart that I'm not sure there isn't anything I wouldn't do to try to stay here with them um, and continue to parent them. There would still be babies that didn't develop correctly in utero that were going to die and so abortion would still be necessary. You know, like for some parents, some would choose to like carry that pregnancy all the way on and wait for the baby to pass away once it was born. And that's fine. And some parents would say, I am going to end 
because this is how I can parent my child is I can put them out of pain earlier, right? That that to me feels like mercy. And I also think that that's fine. Um, You know, the ironic thing is that in some third trimester abortions, an abortion is actually the only way the parents will ever meet their child while the child is still living, right? So like a third trimester abortion is an induction of labor, right? Like they force a woman to go into labor. Um, And I've had friends that walked through this. I've had clients that walk through this. And sometimes it is like your baby, like every week they're getting multiple scans and that baby's life is just shrinking and shrinking. We know at some point they're going to put the wand on your belly and there's not going to be a heartbeat. And so there's there are women, couples that decide, let's go ahead and have the abortion now so that we get to actually hold a child while they have life and so that I can be cradling in them in my arms as they die. Like we don't get to get away from the fact that like life is really messy you know like we live in a world with suffering that's just the world we got and people are going to suffer and stuff is stuff is going to happen things go wrong um you know i think sometimes like just you know this is apart from you said if we got rid of all the constraints that make it hard for people to have babies. Um, What about the people that are doing everything to not have a baby and it fails, right? They've been using condoms, they have an IUD in, and they still get pregnant. They've done all the things to not have it. And some people would say, well, that's a sign that they should just have that baby. Well, I don't know. I don't know that I get to make that choice for them. you know, to go to another part of the world. If I was a mother in Syria right now and I already had children and I was watching them desperately fight to stay alive, fighting starvation, or goodness gracious, if I was in Yemen right now, for me as a mother, if I got pregnant, parenting that child would probably be having an abortion, saying, I'm going to let you go into the arms of God faster and not have to endure starvation and violence and possibly like being killed by a bomb or a bullet like this is my act of love for you like that's something I hear from women a lot is that like I will carry this pain for the rest of my life so that my child while they're still in utero or whatever short life they were going to have so that they don't have to carry the pain like that is like a choice that women make oftentimes Mm. I think that's so important for people to hear because I can already hear some of those realities upsetting people's idea of what life is and how life works, but it can upset you. And you can, I mean, if you're out there, you can disagree. You can say, you know, that doesn't to me change the way I think, but you can't ignore that those are real scenarios, especially with like the place of privilege we come from just being in this country, even the people who are least privileged in this country, um, you know, are not, um, immediately concerned with like, you know, raids on their town from rogue, you know, government or militias or whatever, you know? Um, so I think that's important. And that's, you know, what the podcast is about is hearing those stories. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. I just want to say too, like for the people that I know that are very adamantly pro-life, I do think we need to hold space that like You can adamantly, strongly believe that women should have the right to make these choices. 
and still care for the lives of babies, right? Like I still, it doesn't make me feel good to think of a woman and or a couple that have just not done what they, like they said they were going to be careful and they weren't careful and they're just like, hmm, let's just, it's no big deal. Let's have an abortion. Um, there's parts of that that still make me feel sad. But knowing women, knowing a lot of where how these circumstances come about, I still don't truly really think it's done that flippantly. Does that? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's something we've talked about a lot is like <clears throat> the prevailing idea of women flippantly making this decision, like writ large, mm-hmm. I, I think is as a result. Of misogyny. That's not to say that there aren't women who are just like, oh, I'm going to do whatever I want and then get abortion. I mean, I'm, it's possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have, um, I just don't have evidence in my life or in any of the things I've read that writ large, that's what happens. John, you had thoughts. Well, I was just going to say like, it, you know, we always talk about everyone needs to take a step back no matter, no matter what quote unquote side you're on on any issue like you got to take a step back because we don't know it's hard to put yourself in different people's scenarios and um you know when you when you brought up someone in another like in Yemen or you know something like that it's like we don't know what that's like we don't know how that works and um that's a hard thing to do so even if you are like a staunchly pro-life person you do have to hit pause for a second and be like I don't know what it's like and I just got to give grace here. I might have a difference of opinion on what I think I would do and, and everything else, but you still got have to give grace and you have to love people and be empathetic to certain scenarios of life that you might not ever encounter. And, um, and in particular, have, like be wise in the sense of we ask people to make a sacrifice in like, in a Western sense of like, Hey, maybe you should give a little bit of money and people are like, no, I'm not, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, and you're talking like life or death scenarios and stuff like that. So anyway, I was just going to say, like, I think it's super important what you're saying about, like, let's hit the pause button here for a second and take in people's stories and scenarios, too. You know, you mentioned misogyny. That's where it kind of comes back to. I'm, If it's okay, I'm going to read something. Sure. Because last night when I was thinking about coming in here um, and I listened to how you guys talk and you always start with, like, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I was like, how am I doing? Um, and so this is what I wrote. I said a prayer and I just got quiet and thought, what's going on in my heart? And what I ended up writing was, I'm tired. My soul is tired. My DNA and cellular structure are tired because they're bearers of generational trauma. To be a woman is to carry DNA memory of violence and sexual violence to our farthest ancestors. It is to carry grief in ourselves for our collective history of dehumanization, exploitation, abuse, and violence. To be a woman is to be a descendant of the dinos of the world, raped and forced to marry our rapists. It is to be at the mercy of our fathers Laban and husbands Jacob as they barter and negotiate over us. I feel like my body, the female body, when we think about Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Virginia, all throughout history in general, is a battleground upon which men are always fighting to gain or maintain power and control in the name of a greater good and some higher morality. It's exhausting, and I'm over it. Um, You know, when we talk about abortion, we don't talk about the fact that for decades, 
politicians because I, I, I will stand by. I do not think abortion came onto the scene as an issue for the church from as much of a religious place as it was a political place. Our bodies are battlegrounds and y'all are both men and so you don't get to know what that's like to day in and day out hear the news and know that what they're talking about is your body right and I know yes we're talking about babies that can grow within our body but we were chatting beforehand about the term my body my choice and you not feeling super comfortable with that I would throw in that really part of that is like a revolutionary statement that women actually have access to our own bodies, that we get to inhabit them fully and make the choices therein. Um, And that to be a woman is to hear your entire life that your body is bad, right? It was me being sexualized for wearing anything. It was my sister who was such an attractive, beautiful woman being passed notes in church from women telling her she looked like a whore because she was wearing a skirt that came above her knees. It's me and the fellow cheerleaders standing in front of the principal with our hands to our legs so he can determine if our skirt was too short, right? It was being told that I am responsible for whether this man lusts after me, that again, it's all this focus is on the women and we're talking about these scenarios that women find themselves in and we don't talk about the grief and the heaviness that our bodies are these battlegrounds. And what that trauma feels like. We know literally science that like it changes your cellular structure, this trauma that gets passed down. Holocaust survivors, their DNA is different. If you look at their children now, if you look at the women and the men that endured slavery, their their DNA is different. And throughout all of human history, women have just been like, we haven't gotten to be ourselves. And so when women say, it's my body, like that is them saying, like coming into this very, I think, spiritual and important realization that like, this belongs to me, that God put me in this body. God said it was good. Almost everything else in this culture is saying it's bad. Um, Yeah, that I just want to hold space for that. Like that there is a grief, like people mock when like you see that room of like white men that are holding a panel on women's reproductive health. Like we can say like, oh, that's ridiculous. But as a woman, it goes deeper. It's this gut punch again of like, my body wasn't even mine. Um, That there's this battle being waged over like who gets to have this when already like we have so little autonomy of our own bodies, even still today. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a bold and brave thing to say, thing to read, thing to write, and thought to have. It kind of reminds me of, and I don't want to like um, apples and oranges, like other social uh, ills, but like, you know, it's like Black Lives Matter. It's like, well, doing all lives matter. Yeah, but that was never brought into, your life has never been brought into question. So now we have to say Black Lives Matter. It kind of reminds me of that as like, um, yeah, I, I have to reclaim this because it was taken from me and you don't you as a man, me as a man d- doesn't know what that li- what that's like, even at my worst. And I, it's funny bringing up, um, I was, I was reading some stuff about like bullying and fighting and, and violence. Cause that's more, that's stuff we're, we've been talking about in church and we're going to talk about <clears throat> and about how much more, um, 
being quote unquote beaten up or assaulted for boys, how much more of a psychological, like the scarring psychologically to be overcome and, and your choice of like just walking down the sidewalk be taken from you is lifelong way beyond a black eye or, or whatever. And it makes me think of that as like the, from, and it makes me wonder why it makes me wonder if being you know, sort of different as a kid and being bullied and knowing what it's like in brief moments to have my physical autonomy taken from me by bullies makes it so it's like easier for me to empathize. I'm not saying that's true, but it's a it's an interesting thought that I literally just had <laughs> while you were talking. Um, but yeah, I would just thank you for for sharing that. Um, that's awesome. John, do you have questions, thoughts? No, I'm, I'm just listening. No, yeah. I was really I'm just so thankful that you came on with us and were able to give some different perspectives on things. And in particular, just sharing like the stories that you did were just awesome. So I'm just so grateful to be just here with you today. All right. Well, Joy, thanks so much for coming on and being part of the show and sharing your perspective and being vulnerable and courageous. We're reading Brene Brown now. So it's like, it's all <laughs> thank you for being vulnerable. I'm going to go take my vulnerability hangover <laughs> outside. Um, it's been good to be here. Thanks for Having the conversation, my prayer is that the conversations continue and that we realize that there's grace for it, right? That mercy triumphs over judgment um, and that God is in the dark places and places where we don't think that God is there. Amen. Not going to get better than that. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, If you have questions, comments, or concerns, um, just email them to staycurious at hillcityrva.com. Make sure to uh, rate us, um, subscribe, and to share these episodes so that more people can join in on the conversation. Thanks so much uh, to Joy again, and we will see you all next week.